0: You're listening to Artistic Finance, show 138. On today's show, I chat with Paul Taswell, the costume designer of Hamilton and the 2021 remake of West Side Story. We discuss the upcoming Wicked movie, how Broadway costume designers get paid, how designers get paid when a show transfers, and how costume designers for films and movies get paid. We also talk about learning how to communicate about budgets, advocating for yourself by letting an agent do it, and figuring out what you want out of life and deciding how you want your career in the entertainment field to work out, whether that be working in academia, freelancing, or full-time work. Without further ado, let's get to the show.
1: You're listening to Artistic Finance Podcast, where your host, Ethan Steimel, interviews successful artists, leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire artists to grow their wealth.
0: Welcome and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Ethan Steimel, and today I welcome costume designer Paul Taswell to the show. Welcome, Paul.
1: Thank you, Ethan. It's great to be here.
0: Uh, We're recording this on February 26, 2023, and the Broadway news right now is that the Jonas Brothers are going to play a five-night residency (laughs) on Broadway.
1: Oh, yeah. I don't want to miss it. (laughs) And then also
0: neo-Nazis are uh, protesting outside of parade. So Mm -hmm. that's what's happening. Um, Paul, you're not in New York right now. Where are you, and is there any news that you're tracking
1: Um, I am, well, I, I, um, through Instagram mostly, I I track all the the Broadway biz uh, info, uh, but I'm actually working on a film uh, of uh, Wicked, the musical, uh, and we're filming here in London. Uh, John Chu is directing it, uh, and it's all very exciting. It's uh, starring Cynthia Erivo and Ariana Grande, uh, and then we also have Michelle Yeoh and uh, Jeff Goldblum.
0: I see. So you're busy. You're like, I don't have time to track this news. <laughs> yeah, right. No, that
1: well, that that is kind of the case, but you know, I, I do get little blips, blips and spurts.
0: <laughs> Amazing. All right. I've never worked on a film. I'm just curious, you're working on it right now. Uh when is it gonna come out?
1: Uh I believe that it's twenty-four. I don't I don't know when they actually announce when it when it will be released, but uh I think it's gonna it's gonna take at least that amount of time post work that will happen and Um, it's it's a a, you know a beautiful exciting you know venture it's really 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 quite wonderful but there are a lot of different elements that we have to uh, you know just manage so it's all good.
0: Uh, Let's get to know you a little bit Paul Um, I suspect that most of the people listening to this actually know who you are but just for those stragglers who don't know can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure. I mean, I've been uh, designing costumes for the, professionally for uh, the last I guess almost thirty years. Somewhere around thirty years, uh, I went to school at, at North Carolina School of the Arts. Then I went uh, for undergrad, and then I went to uh, graduate school uh, at New York Tisch School of the Arts, New York University Tisch School of the Arts. Um, I designed my first Broadway show was Bring Into Noise, Bring Into Funk uh with Savion Glover and it uh was directed by George C. Wool. Um I also did the original production of In the Heights uh, that was directed by Tommy Cale and and written by Lin-Manuel Miranda and then after that I designed uh, Hamilton uh, that was also directed by Tommy Cale. Uh, and obviously, then Lin- Lin- Manuel Miranda <laughs> <laughs> was, yeah. was had, a, had a had a little bit to do with it. Um, and then uh, I designed the film of West Side Story that Steven Spielberg, you know, where he reimagined uh, the film of West Side Story. Um, so th- those are a few of the things that I've done.
0: Yeah, amazing. Those are like four huge things. And what I love about that is like bring into noise, bring into funk was a huge show for your first one on Broadway. (laughs) It really was. And it was a completely different time. It was,
1: I want to say it was 96. It was in the the late 90s, 95 or 96.
0: 96 on Internet Broadway Database. Yeah. Oh, okay. Great. Good, good, good. I
1: have it in my head.
0: (laughs) I've had the great
1: fortune to work on a number of productions that have changed the the world of how we do musical theater, how we see musicals, uh, American musicals. Some, some really groundbreaking work uh, and amazing, creative, talented people that I've worked with. I mean, it's really, really been quite wonderful.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I love to see it. All right, a couple icebreaker questions that I ask everybody on the show. First one, what is a live event that you'd like to experience as an audience member?
1: I mean, I, I love uh, I love Broadway shows. I mean, I love seeing seeing theater. Uh, I love you know any kind of live theater, definitely. I love concerts. If I, uh, you know, am into the singer, but I just went to the ABBA concert that's here. That's actually the digital ABBA concert.
0: I want to see it. I want to see it. Please say it was good. It's, it it was. It was really
1: amazing. It was really technically amazing. I mean, it's all the music that we know and love. Or you know, if you, if you're a big ABBA fan, I was kind of an ABBA fan until I, you know, went to to see the uh, the, the concert. But then I, you know, kind of grew into more of an avatar fan but it was just you know it, it's technically pretty brilliant you know what they've been able to do with these holograms and you know how how real it all looks uh, you know it's it's just amazing and and just what what that then i mean it's pretty scary actually uh, for our work my work as a designer what the potential is for moving forward uh, as as that develops you know as a as a, a form of, of entertainment because it's so it's so real,
0: but I would also hope that, as designers, it's like we well, have to start with something real. I mean, yes, AI can generate a lot. I would hope that for designers, it would be a good thing because it's like, well, there's your costume, and therefore it can if it continues on in use, that you would somehow get paid for it still that that would be my hope.
1: you would hope that that would be the case. I don't know that that's the case. I mean, yeah, yeah, and yes, you know, there was a designer that designed the costumes for the the Abba concert. Uh, and then they were scanned and and recreated digitally. So that was you know what what they did for that. But you know with AI and with all the imagery that we're starting to see and it's becoming really popular. It's just you know it's, we'll, we'll we'll see what happens. We'll see you know how how things shift and change and what of the what of the live performance world you know, you know continues to uh, operate with it it does now so I mean and theater, you know from when I started designing professionally uh, which was in 90 or 89 90, you know how we do it has changed greatly you know we still you know we're still making costumes and making them by hand and but you know just how how time and money affects what we're able to do and how we tell stories and you know all that's changed greatly.
0: And I would even just using Wicked Film as an example, because it's that that's 15 years after the Broadway version. And I'm sure it's going to be sort of like completely different from that version. But I imagine that like the costumes, I, this is going to sound weird of me to say, and maybe I'm saying it wrong and crassly, but it's like they're going to be more like t- toys almost. Like they can be so more, much more complicated and built differently, I think, maybe.
1: It's a different designer, obviously. That's designing. You know, Susan Hilferty designed the the original Broadway show, and I'm designing the film. That, so the sensibility is slightly different. I think that what we have been about as we've developed it uh, is, just, you know, it's like how do you make this a plausible world? You know, there, there, are, you know, there's there's always going to be an element of theatricality, you know, within a musical, you know, because of the genre that it is. But um, it's just how, you know, how to hold to all of the, the elements that Wicked is and, and synthesize it into something that is original.
0: All right. So you went to the Abba concert. So I thought you were joking earlier, maybe, about the Jonas Brothers on Broadway. You want to go see that?
1: No. <laughs> um, <laughs> would I go see that? I, would, I mean, I don't know that I would go see that. <laughs> I, I was never, I, the, the Jonas Brothers, that, that, was be, that was after my time. You know, so you know you can't blame me for. I'm just like, you know that's that's not something I'm going to be running to get tickets to. But you know, it's like it's like if somebody invited me, I would go.
0: I think it's one of those funny things of like, oh, what's on Broadway now? The Jonas Brothers? What? <laughs> what do they think of next? Uh, okay, next icebreaker question, which is, are you good or bad with money?
1: Oh gosh, I hope I'm good. I'm better than I was. You know, I've I've, I've matured with with money, but um. I tend to be pretty careful, pretty conservative with, with how I spend my money. Although, you know, it's, I also know that it's like with, you can't take it with you. It's, you know, you need to live a joyful life. And if spending money is part of that, then you, know, you make a choice to, to do that. Being an artist or a designer and working in this business, you know, you uh, grapple with the challenges of money uh, on multiple levels. You know, to do the work, it's how much money do you have in your budget to be able to accomplish what you want to create uh, and what you're being asked to create and in the way that you're being asked to create and with the amount of time that you're given to create it. All of that is defined by the amount of money that you have, or much of it is defined by the amount of money that you have, because money then means number of people that you can have on your, your team. To be able to manifest whatever it is, and by team I mean shops and uh, builders and assistants and cobblers and you know just all of it, you know. So um, you know that that all has to be taken into consideration. On a personal level, then you're talking about well, how much am I getting paid to do this job to design this one production since I you know I graduated. Pretty much been working freelance, uh, except for when I was working for Carnegie Mellon University and I was teaching there. Uh, But all of my design work has been, you know, for the most part, it's been freelance, you know, and job to job. You know, so you're always managing the amount that you can make for a a project and how long it's going to take you to do that work. And usually, those two things don't align. If you're talking about a living wage in New York City, it can definitely be a struggle, especially when you're younger, you know, because the the shows are are fewer and fewer, or you're getting paid less, uh, much less to do, say an off-Broadway show or a show at the public than you are to do a Broadway show. And then, you know, you're balancing that with shows that are out of town, you know, that are away from home. So you're flying to other regional theaters, which I've spent a lot of time from the beginning of my career doing shows in other cities uh, because they'll pay, but they pay less than not, I wouldn't say less than an off-Broadway show. They're probably commiserate with that, but they definitely pay less than a Broadway show. It's a huge challenge because you're never, there's no consistency, you know, and this is uh, this is about the personal money. This is about what, what I make as a designer versus, you know, the, not the budget money. You know, the budget money is, I don't know if it's solved, but it, it is managed by how you talk about what you do, how you communicate to the producers to create X. This is the amount of, of money that we need to have in the budget. Those conversations, that's something that's learned. And oftentimes it's learned on your feet. It's not, you know, it, it's not something that's necessarily taught in schools. So you're figuring it out, or I did at least. I was figuring it out as I went how to use my words so that it made sense for producers in understanding what they will get and what they won't get if they're providing less or more for a, a design. You know, as as far as income, for me, it was never the same or it's never the same because you're not it's not like being uh, working in an office where your your salary is always coming in and you can kind of base what you're making according to how you're going to live because you're working freelance, you're always taking on, you know, it's the fear that you're not going to get another job or you don't know when the next job is going to come. So you're taking on everything that you can, that you can possibly fit into your schedule so that you can bank money in the event that you don't get asked to do the next project for a period of time or ever. There there are a lot of loose strings that have to get tied together in order to manage finances for a designer and i would imagine for an actor as well and you know anyone else that's working in theater it took me the greater part of really it's taken me the greater part of my my career to get to a place where i feel like i'm in control of what my finances are part of that was because there's you know this little show called hamilton that came into my life, and it created a cush- a financial cushion so that I could make choices about what I was going to design and what I wasn't going-, going to design, because it wasn't so much defined by, I need to make X number of dollars to pay my rent. It gave me some, flexi- some creative flexibility, choosing what I really want to do and what I don't want to do, or just having a bit of time. Uh, and having time, you know, in that, it's having time to be able to effectively manage my money.
0: Paul, that was an amazing answer. <laughs> that, because, because you covered everything. You co- we, And that's a common thread we, we've had on the show, which is like, very often, I'm very good with budgets and show budgets and things like that. And then personal finances, well, that's a little different, exactly for a lot of the reasons that you just mentioned. One interesting thing about that was that you had a steady paycheck as a teacher at Carnegie Mellon. How long did you do that? You know, where along your career did you do that? And then what's crazy to me is that you're now freelancing and not not having that steady paycheck anymore. So what made you stop teaching?
1: Uh, I started teaching in 2003, 2003 was 2003 to 2006. And it was at a period of my life when I was freelancing. And it seemed like I was taking on so many different projects to be able to manage my life financially, that I, there was no space for life in general. And then, and I always had in, in my head that somewhere down the line, uh, because it was kind of, you know, looking at other designers that, you know, were, were maturing and, you know, how they, you know, what their trajectory was for designing. Some, some of them made the choice to then take on jobs at universities and to teach design, to teach what they actually, you know, love to do. Uh, and this position opened up you know, and I thought, oh, well, maybe this is my time to do this, you know, because I also wanted to, you know, it was very important to me to work with an institution, work with students that were of a certain level that really wanted to be professional designers. Because that's that, that is the group that I can really make the most difference, I felt, uh, in, you know, as far as, you know, training them to do what it is that I do. When I uh, I you know I, I took on the you know the position of uh, a, a associate professor along with Susan Sue who is still there at Carnegie Mellon, I was you know very very happy to to be in on faculty there. I moved myself basically you know I ended up buying a house in in Pittsburgh and you know my life was going to be about being a professor because designing just didn't seem to be you know i wasn't doing as much on broadway and you know it just didn't seem to be opening up the way that i had hoped just as, as i did that as you know as fate would have it uh I, I think somewhere in there i did caroline or change uh and then i was asked to do a film for hbo that george c wolf was directing as well so then things started to Blossom, and that somewhere in there as well, the color purple was happening. So there, you know, there are a lot of things that were starting to open up in New York and in
0: LA. And the the color purple was a big show; like it ran for several years. Yeah, yeah, that's a big one to have in there while you're teaching. Yeah,
1: (laughs) yeah, yeah. And that was, I mean, that's what happened. Is that I was then trying to manage a full time job at Carnegie Mellon and a full time design career. It was, you know, again, there was no space for me and and life. I, you know, I, I basically had this group of students that I was following from their first year in graduate school t- until they graduated. Uh, that wasn't the intention. But the second year, I, I was able to actually see because I was around more just what my effect was when I was present more regularly. The the first year I was in and out, first trying to manage a new you know a new position. Uh, what I really wanted to be as a as an instructor, uh, the best way to teach this group of students. So there was a lot of figuring out that was happening in that first year. The second year, you know, I I knew better how I wanted to approach teaching, and I also felt more engaged with the students just because I had more time to do that. Um, but then that third year. Because of the work that I had done the previous year, and then also some of the projects that were coming up, I wasn't going to let go of being a professional costume designer. It took six hours to drive to Pittsburgh from New York. Uh, so the commute was pretty grueling to, to think about doing a drive that way. And then I was spending all of my income on flying back and forth because I was designing Broadway shows or shows that were that were in New York. So all of that together, collectively, led me to make the decision that it's best for someone else to be the instructor for Carnegie Mellon because I, I really believe that the instructor needs to be present. It's not going to happen as effectively, and students are paying too much to have an instructor that's not present. You know, when it works is like a, an NYU where you can you can teach and work in the same city those positions just weren't open at that time. So, you know, I was going going after a position that was outside of New York, because that was the best position that, that I could find.
0: I, I selfishly asked about that, because I, uh, so I've been in New York for 10 years freelancing, I've never done anything else. But I have a baby on the way. Mm. And so I've started applying for, thank you. I've started applying for teaching jobs. I was sort of like, well, Okay, Paul did it for a while, you know, but it sounds like you just kept freelancing throughout all of it, never stopping.
1: And that that was the you know, the thing with institutions. And I think that it, it's smart. They want for their instructors to continue to work. I think it's it is pretty imperative to have your, you know, your finger on the pulse of what's going on, you know, because you're teaching young, creative people. And and so you should be teaching from the point of view of you know what's coming up, you know, what they're gonna walk into. It's, it's just, you know, whether you can create that balance with work. The way that I teach was most useful for me to be present and, and you know, to be um, more hands-on. And some of that is defined by the, the group of students that, that were entered into that program. Some of it is just about the work, you know, the, like what it takes to get someone to understand the sculpture and shape of a dress or the fitting of a of, of a suit or a uniform or, you know, and, and what you need to look out for and what, you know, it's not something that you can really do after, you know, you, you need to be there and, and be with them, carrying them through that.
0: All right. So it wasn't, I was thinking maybe it was a financial decision of a life in Pittsburgh might be a little slower and easier and steady paycheck.
1: Well, th- that was there as well. It was a steady paycheck. It, you know, there there were benefits um, and, and insurance, and so all of that. Yes, all of that factored into that decision. Is my career and engagement with professional design went out when when I was trying to weigh both my love for costume design and designing show up show X show is where my heart is versus becoming a career professor, and so I made the choice to go back to designing.
0: All right. So I want to talk really about two things with you today, budgets and and, um, the business of designing sort of that stuff. And then the other part is more like the personal side of designing. So we've already touched on a little bit of both. Right now you're doing a film. You've done a film before. You've also done a lot of theater. Um, You've also done theater that has then been filmed. And so I'm just curious about the finances of you getting paid as a designer, and maybe your costuming budgets, how they work differently, when you're doing theater versus film. So I guess the first question is, in theater, how do you get paid for, let's just say a Broadway show, because that seems like easy enough for you, since you have plenty of those <laughs> uh, under your belt. But like, how do you get paid as a, a designer for a Broadway show?
1: All of my contracts go through my agent. And so it's written up uh, all the all the specifics. The first specific will be, you know, what what is the fee? You know, or at least what the fee will be. Um, and that's a number that uh, has bumped up incrementally from you know one show to the next. You know, I, I'm at a I, I'm at a rate that's commensurate with the number of years that I've been working uh, in in the business. Um, the other element of the fee or what I make is um, the royalty. So as long as the show runs on Broadway, my agent negotiates a certain percentage. Uh, of royalty. Uh, sorry, they they, they <laughs> negotiate a weekly that I'll get as royalty, and then there's a certain percentage of the profit sharing that I will get if the show hits 1.5 or you know whatever. If it if it hits 100 uh, percent or one 1.5 percent or you know whatever whatever it might be, where, where all of the investors are paid back, and then that's when. Over the life of the run of a show, I'll then make a certain percentage of the profit pool. The the fee is paid up front. The royalty is then paid every week. And that's you know, that's due to me, you know, every week, unless the producer, you know, the show's not doing well, and then the producers come back to me and they say, you know, would you uh, agree to sign over your you know your your weekly, so that we can keep the show running. And then at that time as well, if they haven't worked out their uh, investments, you know, paying back call their investors, and the show making back its money, it you know they, they then you know I don't I don't get any of the profit sharing. But if it does really well, uh, if it's a hit, and we start to turn over uh, more profit, then I'll start to make uh, more 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 money from the profit sharing. So that's for Broadway shows. My agent could actually talk much more eloquently about it, but, you know, that's, <laughs> that's, that's basically how, how it's played out. Uh, there are other terms that are part of, you know, if might talk about travel, you know, if I've got to travel a certain number of hours and the level of travel that I will get, you know, whether it's business class or premium economy or, you know, whatever that might be. You know, we might talk about it. it Might list housing, kind of housing that I would I, I do. There are others, you know, some other specifics that are listed in in a, a union contract. It's and it's all through USA, uh, United States workers, Local Eight Twenty Nine. The negotiation is. I mean, it's it's different because you uh, on some of the contracts that I've had, uh, I'm quoted a fee that then relates to you know like a, a salary number or not you know per week say on on wicked i i i'm paid a certain amount per week so that's my salary basically um and that's pretty pretty much set and so if you add all those weeks up over the the amount of time that was agreed upon that it ends up adding up to what they quoted me at the very beginning there is no royalty there is no profit sharing, um, at least for me. I don't know if there are other designers that are able to, to get that. I don't believe so. Uh, I don't I, I think it's pretty, pretty rare that a designer, uh costume designer or production designer is actually in, in that position. But I, I believe that there are other people that are that are made, like I, I think that you know, say director or producers, you know, they there there's some back end. Uh, and, and also, you know, celebrity artists, there's a back end where they're making money on the film.
0: I mean, I don't, I know nothing about it, but I do watch movies and TV and then I'll randomly see like an actor or, or even a costume designer randomly. I'll see them listed as a producer as well. And I always wonder, like, I wonder if that's because they were able to negotiate something. I haven't, I haven't hit that yet. I mean, I don't know if it exists, but if it does, you will hit that soon. Um, (laughs) manifesting, I don't know.
1: (laughs) Yeah, thanks. I'm with you
0: taking a break from the interview to mention the artistic finance patreon page now this is where you can go to access early releases of episodes our liability insurance document our classroom homework assignment for students listening to an episode of their choosing and other bonus content now those items are actually not behind the patreon paywall but they are accessed via the patreon page obviously this show is free as we want open access to this information but if you do want to support the work I'm doing, you can join my 29 favorite people in the world and become a patron. Now here's one perk that we have coming up in the fall. I am working on a tribute to set and costume designer, Tony Walton. We're gonna be gathering in person with some of his Broadway design collaborators and his studio associates, and we'll talk about Tony's life and work. It will be turned into an episode of Artistic Finance, but patrons will be invited to attend the event in person. Or if you can't be there in person, you can get a Zoom invite. Earlier today, I had an hour-long meeting about it, and I'm very excited that Artistic Finance is getting the opportunity to produce and archive the event. So patrons, stay tuned for that. If any of this work sounds appealing to you and you want to support me as I do it, please sign up at patreon.com slash artisticfinance. Now, one announcement that if you aren't a patron yet, at the end of March, the $3 a month tier is being retired, which means that after that, the entry-level tier is going to be $5 a month. So be aware that if you're wanting to join, that you have 10 days left before the $3 tier goes away. Anyone currently on that tier will be grandfathered in, but no new patrons can join on that level that's it for the patreon update and now back to the show let's say just i'm just making up numbers but like let's say for a film they're like okay we're going to give you a hundred thousand to do the costumes and then it's 10 weeks that you have to be working on it so then you get a paycheck for ten thousand every week for those 10 weeks exactly costuming like you have to design before they build it, it's gonna be spread out over a long amount of time. So I know like in theater, like if I'm an assistant, I'll get a certain amount each week and they'll say, okay, it's gonna be five weeks. But the reality is I have to draft a light plot. I have to do all this other stuff, you know, two months ahead of time. Obviously I work more than that, the amount of weeks. So I'm curious with the weeks in the film, are you getting that weekly from the very first time you're like starting to put a pencil to the paper to, to sketch something all the way to the end? Or how does how does that work out?
1: Well, it's agreed upon with the producer. You know, the first off the, the line producer, you know, who's who's kind of holding the the purse strings, basically. You set a date that will be your start date. You know, and and then there's an expectation to say, okay, so I'm the studio's worker from this point until some midpoint or until the very end. Yeah, which is you know what I've done before is you know it's like a start work design phase, let's say, and then there might be an endpoint or a a hiatus of being paid, and then we start pre-production. You know, so when that when that date is set, then I start on pre-production, and then it goes then into production, and then on, on to wrap, and all that's negotiated prior to hopefully prior to starting sometimes it's you know you've you've got a certain amount of weeks that you negotiate and then the full contract negotiation is still going on you're hopefully agreeing to a period of time and an amount of money that works for you because it'll, it'll inevitably affect what the overall negotiation will be the way that a fee goes up you know let's say is is you know kind of referencing what your last fee was you know it's always kind of looking back to okay well you made this on that and and an agent will look to that to then be be able to negotiate a higher fee for the next job
0: you've mentioned that everything goes through your agent and also everything is usa 829 when did you well i i assume that everything you do now is um through your agent and through USA 829. I assume there's nothing you do that's not.
1: Whether it's film or it is uh, theater, you know, it's all going through through 829. It could go through uh, the Costume Designers Guild. That is a de- I, I, I don't go through the, you know, that that guild. I, I go through USA.
0: Got it. Um, talking about agents. So you've been on working on Broadway since '96. At what point did you get an agent? Like, did you have an agent for that? Did you have an agent before that? I'm trying
1: to think of it. Uh, I had a lawyer first, and then I graduated to an agent. I went to an agency. I'm trying to think if my first Broadway show was with a lawyer. I think that it was it, yeah, because I, it, I'm I'm pretty sure that because I had a friend who did a an August Wilson straight out of college, uh, straight out of Yale. He had a lawyer that he was using an attorney. And then, so he turned me on to that attorney. And so that that attorney took me on as client. Then somewhere in there, I shifted over to an agent that was actually the agent of a director that I was working with. And so pairing wise, she was negotiating the director's jobs. And when he asked to use me, then she would negotiate mine as well. Um, and it was just kind of convenient. It was it was under uh, William Morris. Then my agent shifted me over or, you know, handed me over to another agent. That agent ended up leaving William Morris and going to another agent. So I've been with that agent for a, quite a while.
0: And so have you pretty much had a lawyer and an agent negotiating from, like, when you started designing?
1: Um, professional shows, either professional or Broadway shows, I've had either an attorney or I've had an agent that negotiates. Uh, my fee and that's because i'm not uh the best advocate for my time i mean i'm not i'm not the best representative for getting the most out of a producer i mean there's a you know there's a different kind of language that you're using i'm not assertive in that way when it comes to representing myself and my work and and what that value is i'm much better at it now i can have a stronger conversation about it but there are also certain things that I just don't want to have to manage because I'm trying to manage a relationship with the producer that stays professional and clean and doesn't come with a lot of baggage where, where I can uh, look to them as someone that I can trust. If it's a contract negotiation situation, it shifts what that relationship is. And that's just for me. That's very specific to me. You know, I know like, uh, hal binkley he never had i mean he, he managed all of his own contract i mean he, he wasn't paying any you know and that you know that's the other part is that i'm paying 10 10 percent for every contract and in perpetuity of of that contract you know so they still that's the reason for an agency to exist is that you know they they will get a cut of a certain contract until the end of a show's run but for, for, you know, Hal was, was fine to not have that. You know, he was able to manage that in a way that I just, it, it wasn't the way that I, you know, I best manage. It's different person to person.
0: Ken Billington also is the same way of like using a lawyer and negotiating it sort of himself. But more people than not have agents. And I think it's just for all the reasons you've said, it's simpler, they're going to put more time and effort into it, et cetera. And it leaves me over here to do my costuming thing. Amazing. So Broadway, there's a royalty situation, additional weekly compensation situation. Film, there's not that. What about when one of your projects gets filmed? I assume everyone is getting paid when they film that and then put it on Broadway HD or on Disney Plus. How does that work?
1: I'm not sure about Broadway HD, but with Disney Plus, yes. So that venue is renegotiated. It might be somehow reflected, reflective of what you originally made on the show, the production, uh, as far as the fee, or it might might be, you know, whatever, you know, the uh, agent is able to negotiate. It just depends, you know, on what, what the structure is and and what the agent, you know, is able to glean from other agents that are doing the same thing and, you know, how it all comes together.
0: And I assume you have nothing to do with it necessarily? So you're not putting in additional work on that? Or do you have to somehow modify things or anything like that?
1: With Hamilton, when it was filmed, we didn't know when it was going to be released. So Disney wasn't involved with it. So there wasn't really a full contract in place. Because it was done mid-year into the run. There was a certain amount of wear and tear that we were concerned about might show up. On HD, so we rebuilt some of the costumes that needed just to have attention, just to make sure that it all looked as as new as possible for the HD. And then that actually got shelved. I mean, or it, it not not shelved, but you know, it was it was done, and then it was held. It evolved until it was sold to Disney.
0: Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that part of the story. The production itself just filmed it for themselves to then shop out,
1: right. Unless somewhere, you know, in some upper office, they were already talking to them. But as far as we knew, you know, we, we, we knew that we were filming it to hold it as, you know, as, as a piece, but we didn't really know how it was going to then be shared with, with the public.
0: Got it. Cool. Okay. And then just random question. So when you had to rebuild those, was that a separate fee that you got paid to go help rebuild or did, was that just part of the, we're filming it and come back and do some work?
1: We're we're filming it and come back and do some more. Well, actually, you know, a large, uh, you know, largely it was uh, my team, and they're the same team that had been on it from the very beginning. They're the same design team. So my associate and uh, assistants uh, have stuck with the show and continued to provide for the show. They oversaw all that, but then there were fittings that I needed to attend just to make sure that you know everything was done the way that I wanted. To be done now. You know, it's that I have the the place or the right to ask to be paid a day rate for every time that I go in. You know, and it's listed in my contract. There's a certain amount that is Paul Taswell's day rate if he needs to go in for X number of hours or you know whatever. Sometimes I'm good about collecting all those, and sometimes I'm not. You know, and that's just that's just me and how much time I know that I'm not interested in, you know, just kind of drawing blood out of the, out of the producer, you know, if it's a a significant amount of time that it's going to go into recreating or creating something, then I might ask, you know, to be compensated for that. If I know that my associates and assistants are really going to have to oversee most of it, I'm more interested that they get paid what is due and then I'll go in and be a supervisor and
0: check. and you know. Awesome, awesome. Well, uh, don't let your agent listen to this because they'll probably email you and say, excuse me, have you been going and getting day rates that we could have had access to that <laughs> yeah, we haven't right. been getting? Exactly. Kidding, I'm kidding. Um, all right, so then when a show transfers to uh, another venue or like Hamilton go, has all these tours out, how does that work? Do you have to... Um, I mean, the design is there, but do you have to redesign for the new cast? Is it like a whole new show and a whole new fee? How how do you get paid for those kind of transfers?
1: It's a whole new fee. It is a percentage of the Broadway fee, usually. It's not the full fee. It's usually a percentage of the fee. And, And also the weekly, it bumps down from what the Broadway weekly is. The profit pool for every tour, it's the same, but I'm not exactly sure. I might be talking out of out of turn, but you know, it, uh, there there are some similarities, and there are some, there, and then there are things that are you know make it less. I, you know, where where I'm making less on a tour than I am on a Broadway show,
0: which makes sense to me, just because you know it seems logical that a tour might have less access to money or less. I mean, I guess it could play bigger venues sometimes, but there's so many extra costs of touring it. Right.
1: For every production of Hamilton, we build a new set of costumes specific to those actors that are in that company. It ends up being a lot of costumes because of coverage. Because you know we have standbys, you know swings and standbys, and people that know a whole track of of Burr and they know a whole track of Hamilton and they know a whole track of Jefferson. That same person travels with them, and anytime that one of those characters is out then they go in. But that means that they have to have all of the costumes that Jefferson has, all the costumes that Burr has, and all the costumes that Hamilton has. So for every cover that we have that is going to take on any of those individual primary roles, they have to have a whole trap of clothes. So all of those are, are newly made. What we do have now is a big stock of clothes that goes out for a stopgap. So oftentimes the costumes might not be ready when a show is starting. So we'll have to put, you know, we we made great use of it when we were out for COVID, you know, when there was a shutdown and then we came back. So there were a lot of people that their, their bodies had changed or there were people that were making other decisions about their lives. So they weren't coming back. So new people were going in but there just wasn't enough time built into when they announced that they were going to be going back on stage and uh, being able to build new clothes for them. So we were building new clothes for them at the same time as we were fitting them in clothes that had been used before, but they needed to have costumes so that they could do the role until the new ones arrived.
0: Wow, I, so I just assumed when somebody was covering that they were just borrowing the costume from the other person. <laughs> no,
1: you actually, I mean, you, you there, there are some things that you might be able to use like a cape or, you know, if it's not close to the body. But for the most part, through equity, you have to provide a new costume.
0: It makes total sense. Everybody's body is different, you know, unless... But that, that
1: There is that. And then there's also just hygiene and you know, just making sure that everything is is clean.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was only an actor when I was much younger, and hygiene didn't seem to be a thing at that point. Yeah, no, that's a- <laughs> So I just assumed it was done like community theater was done. <laughs> Amazing. So I've learned a lot about sort of the business of the costuming that I didn't know. We're sort of running out of time, but I want to just ask a couple like sort of personal finance designing questions when you're getting a paycheck, is it just coming to you, Paul, Taswell, or do you have some sort of design studio or an LLC set up to sort of manage all of that?
1: I do have an LLC. It's uh, Taswell Costumes because I'm set up as a business. Tax-wise, it's beneficial. It operates that way. And that's how I do operate as, a, as a, an entity. The check will come from the production, go to my agent, the agent pulls off their 10% and then I get a check issued minus the 10%.
0: And the same for film. So it's all going to the agent and then they're issuing it to your LLC. Correct. And
1: then I pay myself from the LLC.
0: I see. That makes sense. And just logistically, this doesn't matter, but are you like salaried from the LLC or do you just take money as you need it? Do you just pay yourself 1099 income or is it sort of like you're paying your taxes from the LLC?
1: Talking about managing money, I, mean, but I, I now have a financial planner
0: or you know, like a business manager. So
1: they monitor all that. So the checks actually go from my agent to my business manager and then they're Figuring you know, exactly everything that you are, are asking, and which is just moving money into the different accounts that I have. One of those accounts happens to be my tax account, which a certain amount of every check that I make goes into my tax fund so that at tax time, I have enough money to pay on everything that I was paid over the year. So I'm not scrambling or they're not scrambling to find the funds to then be able to, man- you know, that it, it it's debited off for every check that I make, you know, it's debited off and it's put away.
0: That sounds very organized. And part of me is like, why well, should you get someone's business manager on the show? But I feel like it would be such a dry episode. No,
1: <laughs> no I think it would be good to, you know, it's a, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it could be a short show. It could be a really short show. <laughs> Like 15 a is
0: special. Yeah, unless I'm like <laughs> digging into things that they don't want me to know about and it's like, oh my gosh, you haven't been paying Paul Taz what his full share. I caught yeah, you. Right, yeah, right, exactly. Oh yeah. my gosh. Um, amazing. Is there anything about the career of designing or costume designing that we didn't touch on that maybe you want to talk about before we end?
1: For longevity, it, it, it's imperative for designers to uh, figure out why they're, why, why they want to do this? Because there, there is always going to be you know a certain amount of ups, uh, you know, ups and downs, or financially, and how it changes your your life, uh, how your priorities need to shift. And I think that it's it's very very important, you know, so that you can you know, maintain sanity to have a, a strong sense of your love for doing what you're doing, you know, and what you get out of it, uh, because you know your your time is always you know it, it's always spent in ways that directly connect to your work i mean it, it's it's a very time consuming profession i right? you know when you compare it to you know something where you you know you're able to make a salary you're able to go you know go into an office and 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 do your work and go home and get paid uh, i think it's important to really know why you're doing it like if i had made this you know the the decision to leave or to change and there was a lot of beauty there's a lot of of, uh, you know, incredible life that I would have missed, if I wasn't still a freelance designer, you know, if I wasn't still doing it the way that I learned to do it. And I think it's just, you know, being clear about what is your gift and how do you want to act on that, you know, or get back or whatever you want to call it, you know, it's like, it's imperative to figure that out, because it will then affect, how you feel about money, how you feel about time, your time, how you value what you do and how you spend your time as it relates to costumes or as it relates to theater or film.
0: I love that. And also I relate to it because now like I'm switching into teaching. I can only see me being a better lighting designer going into teaching because I feel like with 10 years of freelancing, I've done a little bit of that, just taking all the jobs, taking all this and the art that I put out is not a high quality product because I've been so stretched thin. And I'm actually actively looking for a university that's away from New York because I want to consciously only do shows that have the budget to sort of fly me back. My my thought is I can only get better because I'm going to have to be pickier about what quality of show I do that taps into what you just said about longevity is like, know what you want, know what you want to do because you're going to have a lot of decisions that are going to affect that.
1: Yeah. Definitely,
0: definitely. Okay, so this question is just for fun, and uh, you don't have to have an answer to this. But <laughs> is there is there any question that you would like to ask me?
1: When, when you were saying that you wanted to find a job outside of New York, so that they would have to fly you back in order to do the work, you know, it's there. There are there are many um, to to say. Set yourself up is not the right term, but there, you know, there there are ways of creating your life that you know you think you know will will mean that it will be the way you want for it to go inevitably it's going to be something different so i think that's you know it's just really important to stay as flexible as possible because you never know what's going to come up but as far you know it's like i i, I am yeah, excited that you know you are out there doing the work that you're doing you know, and also talking, you know, having these conversations, I think it's really it's very, very important to be, you know, for all designers to be talking about money and not be afraid about talking about money because it's about it It will affect the work that you do and how you do it. And then it's all going to affect how you, you know, how you see yourself and how others see, see you. And, and um, it all makes for a very strong career in the end.
0: I mean, I certainly appreciate you being here and speaking so frankly about things. It is important to me to talk about it because people don't talk about it. I've had some wonderful people show up to talk about it, but I've also had a lot of people say, no, thank you. This is not something that I I want to talk about in public, which I totally understand. I'm, I'm so thankful to everyone, including you. Before I let you go... Where can people connect with you, and who do you want to connect with you? Oh,
1: <laughs> um you yeah, i would say that's probably uh my instagram is is the best way of connecting with me. It stays very professional. What I'm finding right now is that emails get lost very easily uh when you're you know juggling multiple things you know so you know it's probably a little more direct and clear uh just as far as reaching out
0: got it at Paul Taswell on Instagram yeah yeah. I'm open
1: and interested to, you know, chat or, you know, to uh, connect with anyone that is interested in the world of theatrical and film costumes or ha- has has a question around that, uh, especially uh, young designers that are just launching into this career or, you know, trying to find their way because, you know, I, I think that there, there are potentially a lot of Falls that, that can happen, you know, in entering in, into the career. And, and uh, so it's, it's good to have somebody that you can reach out to.
0: So I just heard if you're a young or early career costume designer, reach out to Paul on Instagram. That's what I heard. <laughs> <Yes. That's>
1: good. <laughs> amazing. Good, good, good.
0: Paul, uh, this was amazing. Thank you so much for giving me an hour of your busy schedule. Um, thank you.
1: Ethan, it was my pleasure. It was so good to talk to you. So glad that I could be a part of this.
0: That's it for this week's episode. My takeaways are, use an agent. They are trained in the language of contracts, and they can advocate very well for you. I didn't realize film designers didn't get paid royalties. I just assumed that many of the people working on movies got a percentage of the profits. Not so. They may be compensated well, but they don't get anything on the back end. Paul briefly mentioned learning about budgets and talking with producers is an on-the-job learned skill. That's important because with things like contracts and finances, people often blame the school system for not teaching it. However, school has to cover a lot of ground because there are so many jobs available in theater that contracts and wages are different depending on what you're doing. So it isn't surprising that teachers can't cover all that material, and that's why artistic finance is here for the specific people in the entertainment niche to find each other. Someone graduating in costuming could become a draper, a shop manager, a designer, a crew member, a teacher, a shopper, a wig maker, a puppet maker, the list goes on and on. But once you settle into it, what your career is gonna be, that's when you can find someone in the artistic finance community who can answer questions or share experiences similar to yours. Those are my takeaways for this week. Did you enjoy the show? If so, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. I'm still one review behind the Light Talk podcast and number of reviews, so I'd love for you to help me get one more, and I'd love to hear your thoughts about today's episode. I'd also love to know what you thought of last week's episode with guest host Rob Schneider. He'll be back with another episode on Broadway's financial flops. So if you want to hear more about the Spider-Man musical, make sure you're subscribed. Now coming up in April, we'll be having more guest host episodes, and I'll be very interested to hear what you think of those. A reminder that if anybody wants to become a patron and you want to join at the $3 level, that is expiring at the end of March. So if you want for $3 a month to get access to early releases, a private podcast feed, and an invite to our Tony Walton tribute recording, Join up in the next 10 days. You can join up on our website, artisticfinance.com, or go straight to Patreon at patreon.com/slash artisticfinance. If you're wanting to attend our book club on Zoom, the next meeting is this Sunday, 1 p.m. Eastern Time. We're reading the budget Nista's book, Get Good With Money. And also a reminder, you don't have to read the book in order to attend. But if you want to get good with money and get the details about the meetup, visit artisticfinance.com slash book club. As always, there are links to everything we talk about in the show notes. That's it for today. Until next week, break a leg.
1: Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance. Make sure
0: to subscribe. To access our show notes, transcripts, or resources, go to artisticfinance.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision,
1: consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Artistic Finance. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.